We are learning Daf Ayin Vav, and we're starting a few lines down. The Gemara says Shalut Talmidav is Reb Shimon by Yochai, five lines down. And again, we're having a discussion here about the month. So Shalut Talmidav is Reb Shimon by Yochai. The Reb Shimon by Yochai is Talmidim asking a question. Why did the month come each and every day? Why didn't the month just fall once a year? And then. And then uh, Klai Yisrael would take it once a year. And if you think about it, it's a little bit more natural. It's just like crops. Crops you don't harvest every single day. Crops you harvest one, <coughs> once a season. So so do a year. <coughs> the month should be done in the same thing. We would harvest the month once a year instead of every day. So Amr Lahem, he responded, Em Sholachem Mashal. Let me give you a Mashal. Lamad, we don't matter what can we compare this to. Imagine a king who has only one son. If you would just give him money, you'd give him an allowance for once a year. So the son wouldn't come visit the father. Besides for the once a year, what else does he need his father for? So the king switches mind. He decides, you know what? Let me give him a daily allowance. And why does that help? From then and on, the son would visit his father every single day to get his allowance. So it could be said with the Jewish people. Imagine somebody with a bunch of, a big, he had a big family, four or five kids. How do I know if money is going to fall? In other words, Somebody who only has one kid is less anxiety. But someone with four or five kids is all this nervousness. He's nervous about whether he's going to be able to support them the next day. He's nervous that they're all going to starve the next day. So all the time, because they didn't, all, they never had security all the time that they were in the midbar. They were always nervous that they wouldn't have mon the next day. Because of this, all of Klaisrael, they were constantly being mechav in their life. They're always directing their hearts to, to, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and therefore brought them closer. So that's the shot. Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu make them only, make the man come every day, little by little? The answer is, so that we would have a closer relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was out of rachman, of mercy, that we should eat it fresh, warm, man, that wasn't stale, left over from, from time before. Another interpretation, because of the burden of carrying it while they're traveling. It's annoying to have to carry it. So therefore, Kalei Yisrael had a toiva done for them by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them fresh man each and every day. Continues the Gemara with another discussion about the man, how much man fell every day. It once happened that the following Tanam, Reb Tarfin, Reb Yishmael, and all this Gainim were sitting talking about the man. There was someone, Reb Lazar, from Modai, who was sitting with them. And then Reb Lazar, he spoke up and he said, How high was the man? It came down 60 amos high for Kla Yisrael. Why, why are you continuing to do such a thing? You're, you're gathering together all these words that aren't necessarily true, rumorous things, and just bringing this to us. Meaning, you're saying something that's totally baseless. Where did you get this random idea that it was 60 almost high? That's how tall the month fell. So Amalo, he responded, Rebbe, Mikrani Darish, what are you talking about? I have a source. I have a source from the Torah. It says in the Pasuk, the Pasuk is by the, the Mabal. How high was the water at the Mabal? Chamesh Esri Amal Mamala, Gavru Hamayim. 15 Amos up did the waters go and they covered they covered the mountains. So now the question is, it's much more the simple proud in the Pasuk that the, the, the waters were 15 Amos were of all the places in the world. But that doesn't make any sense because how could it be 15 Amos high in the valley and in the mountain and in the plain? It doesn't make sense. It's certainly the water should always flow down. Could it be possible that the water is 15 Amos high in the valley and the same water would be 15 Amos high in the mountains? That doesn't make sense. Did the water go 
like walls. Water is, water is in a liquid. It always flows down. So it doesn't make sense that it was 15 amas off the ground in every spot on the globe. If it only was 15 amas high all the time, then how did it go above the mountains? Because that doesn't make sense. We know it's 15 amas above the valley and the mountains are higher. So where is it? Where exactly is the table floating? Ella, how did it work? What it must have come to be is that all the springs from the bottom of the earth opened opened up. The water filled all the lower parts of the globe until they were all level with the tops of the mountains. In other words, the step one before the rainwater went 15 amos was that all the uh, of the water from the springs filled up all the gaps until the mountain. So now everything was level with water. Then the rain, the rain fell in a uniform flat thing across all the globe, and it was 15 amos that it went up. Okay, so we know that the now we get a better, uh, clearer picture about the Mabel. The Mabel was 15 amos above the mountains, and it was 15 amos above the mountains throughout anywhere in the world, because uh, even if there weren't mountains, the water from the Springs filled it up until there. Now, let's continue. Which Mida is greater from HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Mida, Taiba, Mida, Peronis. Which is greater? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is good Mida or is punishment Mida of punishment? We always know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Mida, the amount that he does when he gives Baruch is greater than when he punishes. That's always the the, the, constant, the constant idea. We know from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it says that he, he, he's the merit from, from Sadiqim, he keeps for 2,000 generations, whereas the, for Risham, he punishes only for four generations. So that's an idea. It's, you know, 500 times greater. So even if we don't necessarily apply the number 500 all times, but we definitely can say that the Midah of Taiva is greater than the Midah of Peronius. And what do we know about the Midah of the way that the flood happened? It means Peronius, Omer, it says in the Torah, <coughs> that the windows of Shemaim opened. So windows, we don't know exactly how many windows there are here, but we always assume that a minimum of plural is two. So it sounds like there were two windows that opened for all the water to come down to get 15 amos across the globe. And in Midah Tova, Omer, what do we know about Midah Tova about the Mun? The Pasuk says, the Pasuk at the hill, when it's talking about the Mun falling, it says, that the Eivishta commanded the heavens on top, the doors of the heaven he opened, and he rains down Mun, he gave them the grain from Shemaim. So it says here that the door in Shemaim opened. So what, how many, how many windows are in a door? Meaning by the, by the, the, the Mabal, it says, that it came through two windows. And here it's saying by the Mon that it came through the door. So how many windows are in a door? Arba, Arba, there are four in each door. So in other words, the door, this is obviously what we assumed in their times, was equal to four windows. So if there are two, there are two Arikan Shemona, so the equivalent would be eight windows that the Mon is coming down. So now let's think about it. So the, the, if we were saying that went by the flood, by the Mabo, which came through two windows, it was 15 amos high. So the Mon, which fell out of eight windows, should go to the total of 60 amos high. That's the way the math should go. So it should be uh, 15 times four. So basically what we're saying, Rabbi Lazar is saying, I didn't randomly just make up that the Mon was, that the mun was 60 amos high. What I, what, I was, what I was coming from is that I know by the Mabal was 15 amos high. And by the Mabal, I know that it came out of two windows. And here by the Mon, I know it came out of the equivalent of eight windows by two doors. So therefore I assume that it should be, um, it should be going in the same proportion as 60 amos high. So there wasn't a random thing. That's how much Mon came to Klai Yisrael. So the Gemara says, Tanya, we have different opinions here. It says in a prize, so, 
Easy Ben Yehuda, Amar Mamon Shem, and Yisrael, the man which fell for Klai, so how he misgabber of Ola. It would get higher and higher. was so high that all the kings, no matter where they were in the globe, in the east and the west, every was so high that they could see it. It was like the tallest skyscraper, no matter how far away, you were still able to catch a glimpse. Are you preparing a table for me in front that the vision of this table that's set with all the bread from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's, it's seen by my enemies. So this is a reference to the man, that the man, they were able to see no matter where they were on the globe because it was so high according to this view. It's not specifically 60 amas according to this view. It might be higher. It was, it, was, it was so high that everybody in the globe could see it. Now we just, once we quoted that passage, we talk about something else in there in Kapitol Chav Kimo, Kosi Revaya. Interesting Gemara here, talking about David Amela's cup, and it's saying that his kais, the kais of David, overflows. So, the cup that David Amela is going to have in the world to come, how big is David Amela's cup going to be? It's going to be 221, and 221 looking, meaning that's how much wine would fit uh, inside. Where do we get that from? Shinemar Kosi, Revaya, it says my cup is Revaya. So yet literally, Revaya means overflows. But Revaya, if you take the Gematria of Revaya, Reish Vez, Yod Hey, it's equal to 221. And it's saying that Kosi Revaya, that's how much, that's how big David Amela's cup is going to be in Olam Haba. It's going to be Matzah. It's going to hold 221 looking. Okay, now we go back to what we said about Lazar Mother. Lazar Mother was saying that we assume that it was 60 amos high. The reason why we assume it was 60 amos high is because we know the Mabo was 15 amos high, and we know that this came through uh, we, uh, it came through eight windows, whereas the Mabo only came through two windows. So therefore, we assume that it was 15 times four, reaching a total of 60 amos. So the Gemara says, It's not a good comparison. There, the rain was falling over 40 total days. Here it fell in just one hour. So the man, we're saying you came through the eight windows for one hour. So we're saying there's no way that it got so high. You can't compare how much came through two windows, but over 40 days to something that comes through eight windows, but only in one hour. So the math is off. Another point, over there, the rain was for the entire world. Here the man was only falling for Kali Yisrael. So if you put, and if you put that factor together, then you would think that it should be much bigger because there it's, the water was going throughout the entire globe through two windows. Here it's going through eight windows, but only for Klyasrol. So if you put the, that factor also, then you would think that the Mun should be much bigger because it's only for Klyasrol. Klyasrol is a very small area on the globe. And if it's coming through eight windows, um, even though it was only for one hour, but it should end up being so much. So Bikitur, but it makes sense to say that the, the numbers that were crunched aren't necessarily accurate. So the Gemara depends. Rabbi Lazar Madai, Psichel, Psichel, Gamar, he had Xer Shava. Xer Shava between just over here, it says opening, and over there it says the opening of the sky. So therefore we compare the numbers. So it's not about just crunching, you know, making a comparison about the way that we arbitrarily are deciding the 15 times 4 goes. You're right, there may have been other variables that make it seem different. But if I have Xer Shava that's being done, so the Torah is connecting them, so then it's meant to connect, and we're supposed to do that math 15 times 4, and therefore we have a source in the Torah that uh, it was 15 Amos. Um, 15 hours for every two windows by the month, and since it was eight windows, it therefore would be a total of 60 amos high. Okay, now we get back to what the Mishnah had said. What did the Mishnah say? We're talking about Yom Kippur. So the Mishnah said, Yom Kippur, a person is not allowed to eat. And then it mentioned the other things, eating, drinking, washing, smearing with oil, wearing shoes, and Tash Meshambita. So the Gemara says, Where do we get this idea? Like, where is the source that these things are, are have pleasures? Now, the question is, 
we shouldn't really be saying, where's the source in the Torah? Many we shouldn't hold that all the pleasures are the Rabbana except for eating and drinking. But it means kinegami. What do they correspond to? Like, what, what's the point of these five correspondence? So the Gemara says, They correspond to the five times in the Torah where the Torah talks about afflicting oneself on Yom Kippur. Where are the five times? Uba Asar. The Pasuk, that's in Pinchas, that's the Pasuk in Emar, Shabbat Shabbason, also mentioned there in Emar. Another one, Shabbat Shabbason, in Achimos, again in Achimos. So those are the five times where it talks about afflicting yourself on Yom Kippur. So we say that the, the Torah said it five times to reflect the idea that we're reflecting, that we're, we should afflict ourselves in five different ways. So the Gemara asks, those are only five sukkahs. Now we learned that there are six different afflictions. Eating, drinking, washing, smearing oil, wearing shoes, and relations. So that's six. So the Gemara answers, drinking and eating are not separate categories. Drinking is included in eating. That's one general affliction. Where do we get that from? Where do we see in the Torah that drinking is included in eating? Now somewhere in the Torah it will say don't eat or talk about eating, but it will include a mice of drinking as well. Shemar says in the Pasuk, talking about mice or shani that you bring up to Yushalayim. And the Pasuk says, you bring to Hashem the mice from your grain, your tirosh, and your oil. So what's tirosh? Tirosh Khamra, tirosh is wine. So that's something you drink. The Torah is still saying to eat it. You should eat it in front of Hashem. So how do I eat wine? So it must be that shtiyah is bechlal achila. Says the Mar, what's the proof? Maybe you're eating the wine, not directly, but you're eating it as, as one ingredient in a food. Like what you do with that nigron. Dama rabba shma, nigron ma'ed the silka. Nigron is a dish that's made, and you use water from the cooked beets. And and askiron maya the kula shokli askiron is a dish that comes from the water of all different types of cooked vegetables. So maybe so you have a similar thing with the wine. It's not that you're drinking the wine just straight up, yeah, because then you wouldn't be called eating. It would be called drinking. But maybe it's a dish where there's an ingredient of wine that is mixed in. So the Gemara gives another proof. You should spend the money for whatever you want. Again, here we're talking about that. Uh, that a person couldn't bring up the fruits themselves and Maestro Shinni to Yerushalayim. So instead, he redeemed it on money. Now he brought up the money and he's spending the money in Yerushalayim. So it says, what do you spend the money on? Babakar, Batzon, Bayayin, Bashechar. So Shechar Shdiyah. What's Shechar? We assume that it means an old wine because it's something that makes you very drunk. Shechar, Akar Achmona, And here the Torah is saying, you should eat it. So here, instead of using tirosh, we're using the word shechar, which we assume means old wine. And we're saying the Torah is still said to do an action of eating. So we see that drinking is included in eating. So the Lord says, it's not approved. Maybe the same deflection. Maybe we're talking about you're eating the wine as an ingredient. It says the shechar, it says shechar, something that makes you drink, very drunk. So obviously we're talking about drinking, uh, drinking the, the wine as a beverage and not eating it as an ingredient in other food. Because if you just eat it as an ingredient in other food, it won't get you drunk. So if the Torah is talking about something that's shechar, that's intoxicated, and clearly we're talking about drinking the wine and still the Torah says achila. So the Mars says that's not approved. Maybe we're talking about that there is a type of food which does make a person drunk. In other words, the Gemara's premise was to make it make a person drunk, clearly you're drinking something. The Gemara's responding is not necessarily true. There's the types of times when you can have a food which you eat which makes you drunk. The Tanya says in a price, a person of a coin eats a type of fig from kila, or he drinks honey or milk. All these things, all these substances can be intoxicating, but they're not regular wine. And then he goes into the base of Mikdash, and he does avoda. He's chayav. He's chayav for doing avoda when he was drunk. So what do we see? We see that even though 
these things are they're, 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 these figs were, were like a food, but still they can be intoxicating. So there's a concept of a of a of a of a, of a dish of a food that can be intoxicating. So maybe really Sheikh and the Pasuk is talking about eating a food and not drinking something, and still it's possible call it's it is called Sheikhar because it could be intoxicating. So we still haven't brought a proof. Just because the Torah says eating Sheikhar, we haven't proved that Shtia is included in the term of eating. So the Gemara answers, Ella, rather, Yalav Sheikhar Sheikhar mean Nazir. We learn Xer Shava from Nazir. Just as over there when it says by Sheikhar, by the Nazir, it means wine, Afkan, Yayin. So to by the Nazir, that's what it means. The Torah, it's very clear, it's only Asr to drink wine. He's allowed to eat and drink something that makes him drunk. The only Isr is wine. So if the Torah says Sheikhar over there, clearly it means wine. So to hear by Maestro Shani when it says Sheikhar, we assume that it means wine. And the Torah is still saying, Be'achalta. So we see that shtia on the wine must be a mais, uh, uh, that shtia is included in the term of achila. So the Gemara accepts this point, but the Gemara just goes back to something that we were assuming before. We were assuming before we tried to bring the proof from the word tirosh. We said that tirosh means wine. So the Gemara asks, or tirosh kama, is it true that tirosh is wine? But it says in a brisah, we're talking about someone making a neder. So someone says, I'm not going to have benefit from tirosh. It's also for him to eat any sweet fruit because tirosh means sweet fruit. But it's much for him to drink wine. So clearly we see that we got the word tirosh wrong. Tirosh does not mean wine. Tirosh means sweet fruit. Now again, that doesn't make a difference to what we were learning, that we, we actually ended up learning that from Sheikha. But the Gemara Stam challenging our premise from before. We had assumed that Tirosh was wine, and the Gemara is trying to show that right now that assumption is wrong, and Tirosh really means sweet fruit. So the Gemara says, What Tirosh does not wine? If it Tirosh, you know, Tirosh will bring uh, will bring the wine. It's like virgin wines. So at any rate, this Pasuk here in Zechariah is talking about that's um, like like it's like, like good wine that's going to make people drink and that the Torah is giving it as a mush over there for secrets if we look in the Pasuk. But at any rate, it's clearly a reference to wine. So the Gemara says, no, it means that which comes from Tirosh, meaning really Tirosh means great, means sweet fruit. And saying that something that is produced from Tirosh, meaning wine that is produced from Tirosh, the sweet grapes will make, will make, will, will bring stuff out. So the bottom line is we haven't shown that Tirosh means wine. Tirosh might mean sweet fruit and the context over there that the thing of Tirosh means the thing that comes from Tirosh, the wine which comes from the sweet fruit. So the Gemara again attempts to show that Tirosh means wine. Vaksiv is Tirosh. Yikavacha, Yifrotza, the Tirosh of your wine are all going to come forth. This is Pasuk and Mishle, talking about a big vat and there's going to be a lot of Tirosh of your vats. So if there's Tirosh in the vat, clearly it's wine. So the Gemara says, no, Davar Davan Tirosh, Yikavacha, Yifrotza, the same thing. Tirosh itself means sweet fruit. It's saying the entity which comes from Tirosh, meaning the wine which comes from the fruit, will come out of your vats. Says the Gemara, but again, I'm going to try to prove that Tirosh is wine. Vaksiv, Znos Yain, Vesirosh Yikachlev. That's Znos, right, promiscuous activity, and wine capture the heart. So clearly, we're not talking about a sweet grape. We're talking about something that captures the heart. And it cannot mean uh, the thing that comes from Tirosh. Why don't we say the same thing here? Because the Pasuk specifically says uh, Yayan. So it can't be that, 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 it means, that it means the entity which comes from it. So if so, so how do we understand what's going on? It must be that, that Tirosh is a certain type of wine, that there are different types of wine. It must be there's Tirosh and Yain. It must be different entities, different types of wine. Because we can't say that Tirosh here means the thing that comes from a sweet fruit because it already says Yain in the Pasuk. Must be Tirosh is a type of wine. It means new wine. So the Gemara concludes, you're right. 
You've, you have conclusively shown that tirosh means wine. Ella tirosh kuliyam definitely means wine, like we had assumed before. I, we had a kasha for the Mishnah Nadarim. The Mishnah Nadarim said someone makes a nether from tirosh, they're also on sweet fruit and they're mutter to drink wine. The answer is, what's the big rule? It's not about what the word actually means. It's not about taking out the dictionary. It's about understanding the way that people use it. That's the big rule in Nadarim, that it doesn't, we don't really care what the word means. We care about the way that people use the word. So people use the word tirosh to refer to sweet fruit and not to refer to wine. So therefore, in Hilchus Nadarim, someone who is not tirosh is going to be muttered to drink wine. But generally, the way that we actually see in the Pasuk, what does tirosh mean? Tirosh actually means wine. So now the Gemara says, once we establish that tirosh means wine, by my carly tirosh, what's pshat? Like the etymology of the word. Sometimes we have yain, sometimes we have tirosh. What are the words relate to? So the answer is yain, which may be on. It's called yain because it brings people to cry. Why? Because wine brings to sin. If people sin, there's punishment. If there's punishment, people are crying. So yain brings yalala crying. And tirosh, it's called tirosh, whoever becomes uh, too dependent on the wine will become poor. He'll become rush. He'll become like a poor person if he's too dependent on the wine. Says the Gemara, and in terms of the word tirosh, it says in the Pasuk, the way it's written, it's tirosh. Again, there's no nekudos in the Torah. So sometimes you can have a kri in the ksiv. There's no vav. So it could be read. You could, it, it, could, it, it could be written. You could think of that, that the word is tirosh, the karina, but the way that we actually pronounce it is tirosh, as if there's a vav. So is it tirosh or tirosh? And the answer is zacha. If he's zocha, meaning he drinks wine in the right way and with, with responsibly, then he becomes a rosh. He becomes a leader, meaning it can help a person. It opens up a person's heart. Rashi says, person becomes smarter. We know the Gemara sometimes says that Tzernam Aram would drink wine before they would pass in a little bit. It would open up their minds. But if you drink too much, if you're not Zoha, Nazar, Rosh, and you become too poor, and uh, if, you, if you drink it and you become you're too dependent on it, then and you overindulge, you become poor. Says the Gemara, and this is what Rava, Rava, Rami, Rava had a contradiction. It says that wine is Yisamach, the Karinon, Yisamach, but we read it, Yisamach. So what does that mean to say? What is the contradiction here? So we're looking at the Pasuk, just look at the Pasuk and Dilem, Yain, Yisamach, Levav, Enosh. So Yisamach can be a sin, but uh, sin sometimes can be like Shin or a sin. So we also have that the letters He and Ches can be interchangeable. So you could have Yeshama or Shomim, which means to destroy. So this is the point. It could be Yeshamach, like destructive, or Yeshamach and make a person happy. This is all just based, of, again, on this Pasuk, Vyan Yeshamach, and we're saying that Yeshamach can be in Yeshama, destructive, or make a person happy. So which one is it? Zacha, if he drinks well, Misamcha, wine makes a person happy. Lo Zacha, if you're not, Zacha, you drink ridiculously, then Mishamcha just destroys a person. Wine and uh, and good smells that made me smart. This is what Rava credits to his wisdom were from wine and good smelling things. Okay, now the Gemara continues. Where do we find in the Torah or somewhere in Tanakh where, where not bathing and not smearing is called affliction? Meaning we're saying the Torah says to afflict ourselves on Yom Kippur. And we're saying that the way we fulfill afflicting ourselves is by not bathing and also by not smearing oil. Where do we see that those things are called afflicting oneself? The Pasuk says here, I was talking about Daniel. Daniel had a long thing at uh, he 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 put he, he mourns in the context here is that King Korish said the Jews were going to rebuild the second base of Mikdash, and then he went back and he said that they can't. So Daniel says when he was in mourning, I didn't eat good bread, I didn't have meat or wine in my mouth, I didn't smear myself. 
So before we see that this is called afflicting, the Gemara just interrupts. What does it mean? I didn't eat any desirable bread. I didn't even eat bread that was made from uh, a type of wheat. So meaning to say, forget about the extra indulgence. Even something, he didn't even have a, like a very basic indulgence, something which wasn't, you know, something extravagant at all, but even just basic good bread, he didn't put in his mouth. Okay, so he says he didn't eat good bread or drink or anything, and he didn't smear himself and, and, and he didn't smear himself while he was mourning. Where do we see that what Daniel went through was considered afflictions? Daniel, Pasik says here, and, uh, and he said to me, Gabriel's talking to Daniel, don't be afraid, Daniel. From the day that you set in your heart to afflict yourself in front of Hashem, your words have been heard. So now, boom, we see that Daniel's mourning is described by the Navi here as being afflictions. And what did Daniel do? He didn't eat, drink, or smear with oil. So clearly we see that if a person is refraining from smearing with oil, that's considered afflicting oneself. So we have a raya that refraining from smearing is considered to be, you know, from the Pasuk there with Daniel. Says the Gemara, Okay, good. You found the source that if you don't smear oil, you're afflicting. What about bathing? How do we see that not washing is affliction? The Pasuk is here from Dalem. We're talking about what's going to happen to a wicked person. So, so, so it says that the curse that's going to go into him will, will be, go like into his, into his kishkas, just like water and oil go into his bones. So we see in a comparison in the Torah here, in the, in the Navi, between washing water and smearing with oil. Just as the Pasuk saying, the curse is going to be so in him like water and oil go into his bones. But the bottom line is we see a comparison between water and the oil. So just as abstaining from, from smearing oil is considered inoi, so too abstaining from rechitza is considered inoi. So the Gemara says, how do you know that the water going in is bathing? Maybe the water going in means that he's not drinking anything. You don't see in the Pasuk rechitza. It just says that the oil and the water going in. But maybe the water going in is drinking. So the Gemara says, Dumit we assume the water is like the oil. Just as how does oil go into your body when you smear it from the outside? You don't eat the oil, you smear the oil. So it's the water is from the outside. So it's bathing as opposed to drinking. So bottom line is, we knew from the Pasuk and Daniel that Sicha, abstaining from Sicha is Inoy. And now we're learning from the Pasuk and Tehillim that compares the Rechitza and the, and the smearing together. We see that Rechitza, abstaining from Rechitza as well, is considered Inoy. So the Gemara says, if you look at this Tana, he takes the exact opposite approach. Tana says in the Mishnah, Tana says, how do I know that, that Sicha is like Shtia? That, that just as Shtia is Asr, so too Sicha, so too smearing is Asr on Yom Kippur. Even though there's it says it came, it comes inside like water and oil. So what is this Tana saying? It sounds like this Tana has Mamish the opposite approach. This Tana is assuming we know drinking is Asr, as we already established, eating and drinking are Darais. And in the Pasuk, it also says, and to heal him, that the water and the oil go inside. So just as the water going inside is drinking and that's usr, so so too, so too, the, the smearing is also usr. So we have a very, very different approach. First of all, this Tana is learning that Sicha is usr. He's not coming. It doesn't sound like he's coming from Daniel. It sounds like he's coming from this Pasuk here in Tehillim. And second of all, clearly this Tana is using the Pasuk in Tehillim with the water going in as a reference not to bathing, but to drinking. So what now is a kasha that's left? We now have to understand how do we know that refraining from bathing is considered Enoi. Until now, we were saying that was the Pasuk and Now we're saying the Pasuk and actually is talking about drinking. And we're saying that we see from there that Sicha is like Shtia. But how do we know that abstaining from bathing is considered Enoi? So the Gemara says, You see it from the very first Pasuk.
The very first pasuk by Daniel. It says, and I didn't anoint myself with an anointing. So it's a double lashon. What does it mean, lo sachti? So it means that not only did Daniel, not only did Daniel not, um, not, not smear himself with oil, but he also didn't wash. So the bottom line is, since Daniel described that he afflicted himself, that's what the, the, the Gabriel told him, and it says that he didn't smear, and now we're interpreting that he didn't wash either, so we see that washing and smearing with oil are both forms of afflictions. And now, again, the other Tana was learning at a different point that the way that we know not to uh, not to, to to refrain from smearing is because of that positive entailment that the water and the oil when in the bodies so we compare the water to the oil just as drinking is also so too sicha is also it's very interesting that this point of the Tana because it kind of sounds like from that Tana that the angle on the Isser sicha is that it's like Shtia Whereas if you just learn from the Pasuk and Daniel, you don't see that angle at all. It's just that we see that Daniel afflicted himself by not smearing with oil and not bathing. So it's a very, still in the, in the outcome of the Gemara, a very different angle on the understanding of the Isra of smearing on, on Yom Kippur. Is it Dumidishtia or is it Istam, its own category that we learned from Daniel, just like he didn't bathe? He was also not smearing and the abstaining from those things were were um were considered Inuit. Okay, so we'll stop over here and then tomorrow the Gemara is gonna go back on those Psukim uh continuing with Gabriel and his dialogue with Daniel.